Hey, good morning, faith family. If you got a Bible, would you make your way to 1 Peter chapter 4? I want to say hello to those gathered in the venue as well. Uh, we are working our way through the book of 1 Peter in a series that we've called Peculiar, What Makes uh, Christians Different, What Makes Being a Follower of Christ Different. Uh, and, and if you're new here visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. We typically just kind of preach through or work through a book of the Bible and whatever topic is next in the text, well, that's what we deal with. Well, we discovered a few weeks ago that the topic for Mother's Day would be suffering. <laughs> and so uh, we actually had somebody, uh, good-hearted, uh, uh, good intent, ask on her staff, are you sure you want to do suffering on Mother's Day? To which I said, sure, why not? Uh, because if there is anybody that can relate to suffering, it's moms. Amen? All right. So I got amens already. I'll take it. And so, uh, but whether you're a mom or not, all of us can relate to uh, the issue of suffering in life. And uh, one of the things that we do here at Brian is we invite you in to the real, raw, honest look at life and find hope in Jesus. And so uh, no matter what, what you're in today, uh, we're going to talk about this issue from a Christian perspective and give you hope. Uh, to leave with today. So let's look at this, 1 Peter chapter 4. If you would please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Uh, Peter is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which means this comes to us with the very authority of God. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, an evildoer, as a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed." But let him glorify God in that name, for it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful Creator while doing Good. This is God's Word. Would you uh, pray for me and with me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Um, Lord, it is good to be here today, and uh, this is an appropriate topic for this day because it is, uh, it's about life. And I pray that you would speak to us now through your Word, give us hope, fill us with uh, your uh, truth, and Lord, may we experience um, the freedom that is found in Jesus, even in the difficulty of life. And so uh, I'm very aware of my inability and my need for you. And so Holy Spirit, come and teach us all to the glory of Christ. It's in his name we pray. God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. It is by far the most dramatic thing that ever happened in this state and what it taught us was to take things like this seriously and be prepared because these things are going to happen. 
Those were actually the words of an author named Stephen Olson in a book published just a few months ago entitled Eruption. It's a book about the events that surrounded the eruption of Mount St. Helens in Washington State that, as many of you know, uh, took the lives of almost 60 people. Now, during May of 1980, there had been a, a series of earthquakes that scientists had said would likely cause the volcano to erupt. And when it did, boy, did it. It erupted with the force of a nuclear bomb, causing the largest landslide ever recorded. And even though people knew the likelihood was high that this was going to happen, most people were caught off guard. They weren't prepared. For instance, the, the governor um, had a, an order on her desk to enlarge the safety area, but she never signed it because she didn't think it was urgent. A local resident named Harry Truman, not to be confused with the former president, but a local resident that was uh, encouraged to leave, and yet he refused. Uh, David Johnston, a scientist, set up a, a watch post, uh, a distance that he assumed was safe enough, but it wasn't. Reed Blackburn was a man camping near the volcano, and, and when it erupted, all he had time to do was get to his car before it was covered in ash. Everybody knew it was coming. They'd been warned time and time again. They'd been told repeatedly that this was going to happen. Listen, what made the difference between surviving it and being overwhelmed by it was being prepared for it. In Olson's words, it taught us we have to take these things seriously and be prepared because they are going to happen. Now, faith family, that's not just true in large events like volcanic eruptions or hurricanes or things like that. We know this kind of thing in everyday life, don't we? Like, it's, for instance, you know that a certain time of day, the traffic is going to be bad on those particular streets, and you have to prepare to go a different way. You know that at the end of the semester, there's going to be final exams, and you've got to prepare to be ready for that. You know that at certain times during the month, the bills come due, and you've got to budget and prepare for that. My point is, everybody right here, you know in everyday life that one of the keys to life is being prepared for what you know is going to happen. So why, Christian, are we so surprised when it comes to suffering? Look at verse 12. Peter says, Beloved Christian, do not be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be shocked at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter is saying, Christians, hello, of all people, you should know suffering is not if, it's when. 
This isn't maybe it will happen. Is It's going to happen, and you ought not be caught off guard by that. Now, I expect you to expect me to be faithful to the text, right? And there's a lot of different types of suffering in Scripture. The kind of suffering that Peter is talking about is suffering because you're a Christian. That is suffering for righteousness' sake. But what Peter says here about that kind of suffering is true for all kinds of suffering. This is a major theme throughout this book. I thought about reading all these verses, but we don't have all afternoon, or do we? Right? Here's all the verses that mentioned in First Peter just quickly. He talks about suffering in chapter 1, verse 1, verse 6, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11, 19, 20, 21, 23. Chapter 3, 13, 14, 16, 17, and 18. Chapter 4, 1, 12, 13, 14, 16, and 19. Chapter 5, verse 1, 8, and 10. It's kind of a major theme. In other words, Peter is writing all throughout this letter about the reality of suffering. And we must be prepared for it. After all, we of all people know that suffering is a reality. Why do we know this? Just a couple of reasons. First of all, we as Christians know we live in a fallen world. Right? And I know that's cliche, but it is true. Do you remember our buddy Coelith from Ecclesiastes? You're like, please don't bring Coelith up on Mother's Day. It's bad enough that it, you're talking about suffering on Mother's Day and you bring up Coelith. But what did Coelith say? When you look at life in a fallen world, the bad get good and the good get bad and the bad get bad and the good get good. You just never know. There's no rhyme or reason. And just because you're a Christian doesn't make you exempt from suffering. We also know that, that, that uh, uh, we suffer because of the consequences of sin. Do you remember in Jonah? Jonah is running from God, and God runs after Jonah through a storm. God hurls up a storm at Jonah to get his attention. God loves you so much, Christian, that when you run from him, he will come after you painfully to get your attention. We also know as Christians that sometimes the suffering we face is because of the consequences of other people's sins. You know that there were other people on that ship with Jonah. Meaning they just happened to be there at the wrong time, on the wrong ship with the wrong guy. God is sending the storm after Jonah, but because they're on the ship with Jonah, they have to experience the storm as well. We also know, we're trying to think Christianly about suffering. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Do you remember the Beatitudes? Uh, if we had time, we'd go there and really look at this in detail. But do you, you remember the Beatitude that says, blessed are the peacemakers? Everybody likes to make a bumper sticker out of that one. We love peacemakers. Everybody be just give peace a chance and let's be peacemakers. But do you know what a biblical peacemaker is? It's somebody who does the work of evangelism. That's what peacemaking is. Well, guess what the beatitude is that follows after that? Blessed are the persecuted. Those who are persecuted for my name's sake. In other words, right here, faith family, if you are a peacemaker, you will be persecuted. Part of being a follower of Christ is you're going to suffer. And maybe one last one, as we all know as Christians, thinking Christianly about this, that the way that God conforms us into the image of Christ is pain and suffering. And we'll look at that even a little bit this morning. So my, here's my point. 
I'm after something here. We have to start thinking Christianly about this issue, which means the question is not fundamentally, why is this happening to me? The fundamental question is, am I prepared for it? I don't have a problem with you asking why. I encourage you to ask that. That's perfectly fine. But the real question is not, why is it happening, but am I prepared when it does? Think of it this way. Now, for those of you that zone out and zone back in, I want you to zone in for this moment, all right? Because we are not doing this. Some of you only hear half things, and you're like, oh, okay. So we are not doing this. But imagine next week I said we're not going to meet here. We're going to meet at Crystal Lake for our service, all right? Um, and then what I did throughout the week is we put that on Facebook. We sent a mailer to you. I personally called every single one of you on your cell phone. I sent you a text message. We put a flyer on your front door. We sent people to your work to remind you. We put it on the front page of our website, the front page of the newspaper, and had them announce it on the nightly news. And you heard every single one of those things, and yet next week you showed up here. Which I'm convinced would happen, by the way, from some of you. Now you know, now follow me, you know that in that moment the appropriate question is not, well, why didn't they tell me? <laughs> Some of you would even be tempted to say, well, this church just doesn't care about me. Or listen, preach preacher, some would even say, that preacher doesn't love me. <laughs> but you know good and well that's not the right question. The right question is not, why didn't they tell me? The right question is, why didn't you prepare for what you had been repeatedly told? You say, why does God, does God love me? That, that's not the issue. That's been settled, beloved. The issue is prepare yourself for life in this world, which will come with trials. And the difference in surviving it and being overwhelmed by it is being prepared in Jesus. Jot this down. This is big. Only when you're prepared for suffering, that is, you accept the reality of it, can you embrace God's purpose in suffering. That's what Peter's saying. Only when you prepare for suffering can you embrace God's purpose in suffering. I want you to view your life today like Andy soil. Have you ever heard that term? Andy soil is simply, uh, you can tell I've been studying volcanoes. Uh, in volcanic ash is minerals beneficial to plants. Follow me. So after a volcanic eruption, when the ash mixes with the ground, it creates this andy soil, which is some of the most fertile soil on all the earth. Point, this will preach. Life's volcanic eruptions provide fertile soil for God's purposes. That's Christian. It's not a typical way of thinking about suffering. It's a peculiar way of thinking about suffering that life's volcanic eruptions provide fertile ground for the purposes of God. God wants to do a work in your life through trial, 
Four things specifically that he wants to do. Even though it's painful, four reasons why it's beneficial. You ready? Here they are. Number one is suffering has a way of purifying our faith. Suffering purifies our faith. Do you want strong faith? Well, you have to go through fire. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 6. Let's look at it in the text. Chapter 1, verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, that's the hope you have, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, purpose statement, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, watch, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now go back to verse 12 in chapter 4, and you're going to see the same language, same terminology. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So he uses this word test multiple times. The the word test there in the Greek is where we get our English word purification. It's the idea of proving, testing, purifying, whether or not it's legit and genuine. The metaphor that Peter repeats is the idea of fire. Fiery trials tested by fire. And so the imagery is your faith gets purified as you go through the fire or the trials of life. Three things that fire does real quickly. Number one is fire reveals what's true. Fire reveals what's true. That is true metal, true gold is not impacted by the fire it, because it's, it's real, it's authentic. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're sitting down for this because this is going to be really profound. You may want to jot it down, okay? Um, how do you know your faith works? You ready? You use it. <laughs> Gave me a PhD for it. I know, it's uh, just amazing, the things I come up with. In, in all seriousness, how do you know faith works? Because you've got to use it in the fire. The, the, the trials of life show the purity or the trueness of your faith. That's why you have faith. That's why you know it works. And Peter says, by the way, that true faith is more precious than gold. Do you believe that? Hey, 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 hey. Do you believe that uh, faith is the precious metal of the Christian life? It is. I mean, when you have it, and it's real, and it's strong, and it's deep, and it works, it's more precious than gold. Number two, fire doesn't just reveal what's true, it removes what's fake. That is, the fake metal that often attaches itself can't handle the heat, and it gets burned away. So look at this imagery here. This is what's happening, what Peter is talking about, all this stuff that keeps falling off. Uh, think about your heart. Like You have all these things. The heart is an idle factory. All these things that I trust in Jesus, but I also trust in my success, and I also trust in my money, and I also trust in my family, and I also trust in and, and, and all these false gods gods that attach to you need to be burned away. I, I don't mean that they need to be gone from your life, like you never have money or never have family. What, right, right here, They just need to be proven that they are not saviors. Fire reveals false saviors, false 
gods. And you need, it is actually a beneficial thing for you to see. Money can't save you. Spouse can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. Like that's precious. That's valuable for us to learn, even though it's very painful. Jeremiah 2 verse 28 says, where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in your time of trouble. For as many as your cities are your gods, O Judah. It is painful but beneficial to learn through the fire who your false gods really are. So that the true faith in Jesus grows stronger and deeper. Here's the last thing fire does just real quickly is fire restores what's good Uh, Every metaphor in the New Testament regarding Christians and their suffering is for their good. Go ahead and pick your metaphor. You ready? Uh, The pruning of a branch. It's for the good of the branch. The discipline of a child. It's for the good of the child. The testing of the fire. It's for the purity of the metal. Whatever metaphor you pick, the, the goal is always good. That is God's motive and purpose in your life. So the first point is simply that when we're prepared for suffering, we are purified by it. Our faith grows stronger. Here's the second thing. When we're prepared for it, our life becomes fertile soil for God's purposes, whereby our faith is purified and then our faith is proclaimed. It's an opportunity to proclaim our faith in Jesus. Now, this has been common in First Peter, but look at it in chapter 3, verse 14. By the way, very, inch, very uh, familiar verses here, but let's put them in context. It says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Now here's the phrase we hear all the time. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I say we hear that quoted a lot because most of the time people will quote that for apologetics, right? Uh, If you're not familiar with that term, it's defending the faith. Like, you better have a reason for the questions the skeptics ask. You better know the, the arguments for the existence of God. You better be able to explain how God can be loving and evil exists. Well, I'm all for that. I teach apologetics. I'm, I'm, I think that's great that you know those things, but that's not what this verse is saying. Right here, 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 here. This verse is saying the only apologetic you need in suffering is hope. Jot this down. Suffering is the context whereby we express our hope. Suffering is the context whereby we proclaim or express our hope. Now, I could stand up here and teach this a hundred different ways, but sometimes real-life example is the best teacher. And so this morning, uh, I want to show you someone from our faith family who knows this firsthand and has given testimony to hope in God through the trial. Take a look. I think the pain and suffering that we've been through has magnified God's presence in our lives. Thinking about his hand at work, thinking about the expectant hope we have with Christ. My husband John and I met actually back in high school. We definitely knew we wanted to have children before we got married. I mean, that was something we obviously talked about. 
we waited till five years was kind of our plan because we just wanted to have a lot of time. We knew we were young. And so I think at that four and a half year mark, we're like, maybe we should think about having a baby. I was 100% overjoyed when I found out that we were expecting. Just knowing that I had life inside me, knowing that we were going to like, be a family, it just, it was more than I could ever dream. A couple of years before I found out we were expecting, my dad was diagnosed with kidney cancer. But he was still battling really successfully. I remember they said, there was no reason we couldn't have 10 plus years. December 26th, the day after Christmas, that was, you know, he had been kind of taking a turn for the worse, and it was at that point that the doctor said, hey, there's nothing we can do. And that was really shocking to us because we had just heard that he had 10 plus years. So they had kind of said at that point that we needed to prepare ourselves for um, the end. My dad passed on February 9th of 2011. I remember how sad I was thinking, oh, he's never gonna meet my child. A few days after that, kind of tried to settle back into our new normal life, and it was sad, but again, I still felt hopeful about the fact that I was having our first baby. It's because it did feel like, um, it did feel like we had something to look forward to. Eight days after my dad passed, we, I'd gone for a routine uh, prenatal appointment. I had an ultrasound, and the ultrasound tech, um, as well as the doctor who was there said, I'm sorry, your child has passed. And um, it was an incredible flood of emotion from pretty much everybody in the room. The ultrasound tech had tears in her eyes. And obviously, we did as well. We went to the hospital that evening and I labored for two days, and um, she was born um, on February 19th uh, at 12 in the morning. <laughs> and we had chosen the name Natalie Lynn. She's beautiful, really beautiful. Kind of once the dust had settled, I was overcome with sadness, like despair. There was nothing left of me, I felt like a shell. I didn't really know where else to turn. I researched a lot of different novels about grief and death. There was one in particular that I was reading and there was a line in this book and it said, maybe it was mercy. And I thought, this doesn't make any sense. How can the death of a child ever be mercy? That line just like, played on repeat in my head. And I would hear that like over and over again, maybe it was mercy, maybe it was mercy. The thing that made me think it could have been mercy was like, what if she was not gonna accept Christ? I remember thinking that, oh man, if, if that's what she was going to do and was gonna live apart from him the rest of her life, then him taking her was mercy. That was crazy to me. <laughs> this idea that the loss of my daughter could really be love allowed me to finally feel like I had some peace. That, to me, was mirrored in what I know about the gospel to be true, which is that God gave up a child, and I know how painful that is, and he did it willingly for someone else's heart. I think sometimes we forget about the incredible pain 
because we get to the message of the happy ending so fast, we forget about the pain and the turmoil and the heartache that he went through. I've had to give up a child, and God chose to give up a child. Despite the incredible pain and suffering, my life is very joyful. I have three little kids who are beautiful. We have a piece of their sister when we look at them. It is more joy than I ever hoped for and more fullness than I could have hoped for. My children don't seem to fear death, but I think the fact that we talk about it all the time about where Papa, where my dad is and where my daughter is, they seem to understand the hope that is to come and that this is not their home. I not only am waiting expectantly to see the Lord, but I'm also waiting expectantly to see my daughter. I don't know her, and I will be able to know her. And that's a huge gift. Faith family, this is, this is real life. I'm just going to give you a minute to take that testimony in because it is powerful. This is real life. This is real sadness. This is real tragedy. But listen, that's real hope. Real hope. Faith and hope that work in the midst of suffering. Yes, intentionally on Mother's Day, we want you to go there, but to experience the victory there that we have in Jesus because the Bible doesn't leave us there. It doesn't leave us in our tragedy. It's there in the tragedy that we proclaim victory. Suffering is the pathway whereby we express the hope we have in Jesus. And we want you to know that. We want you to experience that today. Peter then moves on. And I know it's going to be tough to move on from that video. But move on in the text to what Peter says, in the midst of your suffering is a proclamation of the victory you have in Christ. He does it in what are very, very complicated and highly debated passages. But let me just briefly show you the point, which I think is profound Verse 18, he says, For Christ also suffered. So you're walking the pathway of suffering? Well, Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the Spirit. Right here. I know your suffering, but Jesus also walked the pathway of suffering. That is, he died and he is risen from the dead. Now watch what happened as a result of that pathway of suffering. Verse 19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, what, here's what Peter's saying. Jesus walked the pathway of suffering, the cross, and in that he proclaimed victory over those who were disobedient in the days of Noah 
trying to prevent him from coming. Now, I don't have time this morning to talk to you about Nephilim. And I'm sure on Mother's Day you don't want to talk about Nephilim, right? But back in Genesis, there was a specific sin that was polluting the lineage to Christ. And Christ's death and resurrection is declaring victory over that. Now, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Point, Christian, your baptism is a public proclamation of your victory that God has saved you through suffering, just like he did Noah, only not through an ark by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the text right here. Jesus walked the path of suffering, but he proclaimed victory through his death. Noah was taken through a flood, but he was brought to victory through the ark. You, your faith declares through your baptism that though you suffer now, you won't suffer long, for you have victory in Christ. That is what our hope in suffering proclaims. Like the words of the great hymn, I heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. It's painful, but it's beneficial in that it is fertile ground to declare your suffering won't have the last word. Jesus had the last word, and you will proclaim that in tears if you have to. We are prepared. We're not shocked by suffering as Christians. We're prepared for it. It's not strange so that we will be fertile ground for our faith to be purified and our faith to be proclaimed. A reason for our hope. Here's the third thing that suffering does, though painful it's beneficial in this. Whatever you do, don't look at your watch. Um... I'm just going to mention this quickly, and then we'll move to the last point. But I want to just show you in the text that Peter says, listen, suffering, when you're prepared for it, has a way of refocusing your priorities in life. I'll just show you it in the text, verse 1 of chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Jesus wasn't caught off guard by the cross. You shouldn't be caught off guard by suffering. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Huh, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means if you suffer, you never sin again. I'm just kidding. That's not what it means, all right? It's like, what? What in the world? Well, read verse 2. He explains what he means by ceasing from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions but for the will of God. Do you see where I'm getting priority? Suffering wakes you up to righteousness. 
It, it, it makes you say, wait, wait, wait a minute. I don't want to live contrary to the will of God. I want to live for the things God's called me to. Keep reading verse 3. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the unbelievers want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. The point is, is simply this. Um, suffering, when you're prepared for it, has a way of focusing your life on godliness. That's a good thing. That's a great place for an amen. That's a good thing that your life starts focusing on what, 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 what a minute. I want to do what's right. I want to live for the will of God. I want to cease from sin. That doesn't mean I never sin again. It just means I want to stop living that way and I want to live the right way according to what God has called me to live. You remember the Reebok slogan? Life is short, play hard. Remember that? Here's what Peter is saying. Suffering creates this slogan for the Christian. Life is short. Quit playing. Quit playing. There are things that matter in life. Focus on that. Don't run to ungodliness. You run to godliness because suffering is not going to leave you neutral. In suffering, you're either going to run to God or you're going to run from God. Suffering, in suffering, God wants you to run to Him. That's where you need to be. And if you're running to Him, you're running away from ungodliness. So there's a beneficial thing in suffering as it relates to our growth in godliness. So we're prepared for it. We're not shocked because it purifies our faith. It's an opportunity to proclaim our faith. And we rethink priorities in terms of what matters. Here's the last one. Um, you won't be shocked. Suffering is, in a real way, participation in the gospel. Suffering, in a real way, is participation in the gospel. Watch how Peter keeps bringing this back to Jesus. And by the way, you wonder where I get it from. I'm j honestly, I'm just trying to preach the way the Bible preaches. You've got to ground it in Jesus. Look at what he does. Verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ also suffered. Chapter 1, verse 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Chapter 13, verse, uh, or chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Right here. What's the heart of the gospel? Jesus suffered. Didn't he? I mean, big time. Like, he suffered the ultimate suffering. He faced the wrath of his father so much that the thought of it almost killed him in the garden before he ever got to the cross. Jesus suffered a real suffering, and therefore, when we suffer for his name's sake, we are participating in a small way in the sufferings of Christ. Do not expect to be a follower of Jesus and have suffering not be a part of your pathway. This is central to the gospel. But listen, because it is central to the gospel, it's why we can rejoice even in the trial. For three reasons, and I'm, I'm finished. Number one is this. Here's what we know. Because Jesus suffered, when you suffered, you never have to doubt that He loves you.
Amen? And here's why. Because, can I have two more hours? Oh, there's so much here. Like only Christianity has a God that knows what it's like to suffer. Not Allah, not Buddha, not anybody else. Only the one true living God comes into the world and suffers on a cross. And why does he do that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, which means in the midst of your suffering, you look at Jesus' suffering and you know this. I may not know why, but I do know this. I never have to doubt his love. Because of his suffering, no matter what my suffering is, I know it's not apart from his love for me. Because that final word was given at the cross. Number two, because Jesus suffered, when you suffer, you can be assured, I love this, right? Get fired up here, y'all. Here we go. You can be assured that this, Christian, is as close to hell as you'll ever get. Seriously. And I'm not belittling what you've gone through in this, in this life. My goodness, the video that we watched, that, that, this is real suffering. This is real heartache. But I'm just telling you, one, it's temporary. And two, it's as bad as it will ever get because what Jesus is suffering rescued you from is eternal suffering. Whatever you're going through is temporary and preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. Christian, you'll never go through hell because of the suffering of Jesus. And so we have hope. We have hope that even though our pain is real, we are assured that it won't last long. Last. Because Jesus suffered when you suffer. Oh, great truth here. You can be assured that whatever you lose in this life, you will get back a thousand times over at the resurrection. Do your own self-study and go back through First Peter and watch how Peter keeps pointing these Christians to the future. Specifically, the day of resurrection. Why? Because that's when you get your inheritance. Jesus will restore all things, and that means He's going to restore all things. You lost a family member in this life. At the resurrection, you're getting the entire family of God. Your physical body struggles with a disease. You've got health issues that you've battled with all your life. Guess what? At the resurrection, you're getting a new body that will never age, never fade, never be touched by disease. It will never pass away. I'm telling you, whatever you lose in this life, because of Jesus' suffering, you will get it back for eternity and then some. So keep your eyes focused on that day when His glory will be revealed. Here's the Christian, the peculiar response to suffering. We're going to put it all on the screen just quickly. Here it is. Here's the application. Number one, we expect it. That is very clear in the text. We're not surprised by it. The Bible told us there would be days like this. 
It's not strange. Number two, when it happens, examine it. Is it because of righteousness? Is it the consequence of sin? We look at it. Number three, we embrace it, or at least what God is going to do through it. We may not embrace the pain itself, but we say, God, I'm convinced of your purposes in this. Number four, we endure it like Noah through the flood. A new day is coming. A new day is coming. And He will give us the strength to endure. Number five is we exalt in it. That is, we rejoice in Jesus. Uh, We rejoice in the fact that we are experiencing in a small way the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's the summary of the text. You ready? In one sentence. Yes, I could have given you this at the beginning and saved you a lot of time. (laughs) But where's the fun in that? So here's the summary of the whole text and its glorious truth. Are you ready? Here it is. Ready? Prepare for suffering so that when it happens, you will be purified by it, proclaim hope in it, reset your priorities through it, and rejoice in the gospel because of it. That's Christian. That is a peculiar approach to suffering. We're prepared for it so that when it happens, we're purified by it, proclaim hope in it, reset our priorities through it, and rejoice in the gospel because of it. Faith family, this is not if, this is when. We must be prepared because the difference in surviving and being overwhelmed is preparing for what we know is coming. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And that's why we know these things are going to happen. And God's people said, amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word to us. My prayer is that in the tears, uh, the emotions that I am convinced we have felt today, that what triumphs over them all is the truth of hope and victory we have in Jesus. And I pray that as we leave in just a moment, that, that that would be the anthem that we sing Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. Suffering is a tragedy, but it is an opportunity to declare that it can't take my hope away. It won't have the last word in my life. Jesus already has. And so would you meet us by your Spirit in that place of real honesty today? Maybe there are some that that don't have that hope, and today they need to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Maybe there's just been a lot of false gods that's been attached to our heart, and today we just, we just need that cleansing to strengthen our faith in you and you alone. You know every need. You know every heart. Meet us here, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.